Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Red State of the Union Q&As. I'm Kevin Smith. Uh, it is getting uh, tougher and tougher to find uh, clips uh, to show you. Uh, well, maybe it's just tonight. Tonight's tougher because uh, uh, so much of tonight's uh, actor, uh, or rather actress's work, uh, the, the lion's share of it is in, the, in part of the movie that we haven't even kind of scratched the surface of yet. Uh, so it would be kind of spoilerific to even show you a piece of that. So it, it, this one's been difficult. I had to really go in and surgically find something to show just to kind of uh, give you a, a look at her work, uh, which we're going to look at in a second. Uh, it's real brief, so uh, get ready. Do I not hate them, O Lord, and hate thee? As in Psalms 138. Am I not grieved by those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And who's the greatest enemy of God, Cheyenne? Satan. Satan. Mm-hmm. Satan. Yes, ma'am. Now you see what I mean by quick. Um, and it's also, uh, it, you know, it's definitely a showcase acting reel of sorts for Michael Parks. You get a little taste of him uh, uh, there. But uh, the actress, uh, the only person who speaks in the clip really besides Michael, uh, Carrie Bechet, seeing her in this clip is, is, isn't indicative of all of the performance or what she does in the movie. I was thinking about, like, what is this akin to? Showing you this clip of Carrie in Red State is akin to showing you the footage of Michael Corleone showing up at the wedding at the beginning of The Godfather. And if somebody was like, judge that person's work based on that clip, you'd be like, well, I guess he was fine. Man. You know, I believed he was coming back from war or something like that. What this chick has to do for the rest of this movie, once we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it, the, the meat, if you will, the bush, um, <laughs> Is, is some of the fucking most brilliant acting I've ever seen in my life. I, I'm, I, I think now that people have seen the trailer, it's easier for people to get their head around that I'm not hyping here. I'm not kind of speaking in a, oh man, you won't believe how fucking cool this is. This is the best I've ever done. This is literally the best I've ever done. So I'm not even, I'm not saying hype when I say this. Please believe that I believe this with my whole heart. You might remember this night years from now, because one night Carrie Bechet is going to be standing on a stage holding one of those stupid fucking Oscars and crying. <laughs> and it ain't going to be for this movie, maybe, but it's going to be for a movie. The chick is fucking the goods. Uh, and so we're going to get to know her uh, tonight and, uh, and and try to walk very gently around uh, or tiptoe around her performance in the movie without giving up uh, too much. But right now, give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Carrie Bechet. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy everybody. New Year to you. Uh, Carrie and I hail from the, the great state of New Jersey, if yeah. I'm correct about that. We the don't Garden really state. know each other that well. It was the first time we've ever worked together was on Red State. Mm-hmm. And Red State was such an accelerated and fast fucking shoot and a mm-hmm. low-budget shoot that there wasn't even a lot of like, hey, man, let's lay around and get to know one another time. It was pretty much yeah. like I, I literally the first conversation I had with you beyond like, Oh my God, so good to see you. And then quickly turning back to do something else in the movie was probably on the day that you actually had to do a, a scene. Yep. Your scene, right? Yep. What yep. was it? Do you remember the first conversation? Um, no, I, the I was first like, time am I high? Do I met. look high? 
you were in a bathrobe the first time we met, which was pretty memorable. Why? Why was I in a bathrobe? I really, I couldn't say. <laughs> I was like, come in. I hear you'd like to be in Red State. No, we're actually, we're out, we're outside at the, you know, <laughs> at the boys' uh, detention center or whatever out in Nellis. And I was wearing a robe outside? And you, were, you were in a bathrobe. At prison? At the prison. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I think I think it went well. Our our working relationship thus far. And it's insanely well. I, it went. This is how it went. Well, uh, I just basically was like, "Go ahead, do something," and Carrie would do it, and I'd be like, "Wow, all right, that was great." Um, and then just when I thought she was done, she'd do it better. We'll talk about that later on. Let's take you back to the beginning. Uh, when did you decide you want to start acting? When? You know, I actually have a theory about why people from New Jersey uh, tend to be pretty successful. At least there's some really uh, especially in this people. business, you meet a lot of like Meryl every street. Yeah, and, yeah. Why? Um, What's your theory? I think that people from New Jersey have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. So I think you know New York City is this like big, beautiful cultural you know city on a hill, and it's you know I grew up. It's it's a town called Montclair, and it's this little hill, um, and you can see from my high high school dining uh, hall you could see uh the city right and it's just it's just out of reach and i think a lot of people grow up with a lot of ambition and so anyway um i went to this little school in montclair and wait so your theory is it's you grow up in the shadow of new york then you're always trying harder yeah that's yeah. the fat guy eating pussy theory do you know that I do not. Please enlighten me. <laughs> uh, a fat man will always eat pussy better than a thin man because a fat man has to. Because that's where... A f- a f- that's... <laughs> follow me on this. That's... <laughs> that's where a fat man can dazzle. You know what I'm saying? Because A, a fat dude knows how to eat. B... <laughs> B, you're not going to win an aesthetic contest. Why don't you stretch the imagination? There's always some thinner boy out there. Um, so you have to accentuate. You have to make up for the missing muscle or whatever by... That's my theory. Too weird. Um, what... Uh, what were we talking about now? <laughs> Montclair. What, um, where, what part of Montclair? Because I lived in Montclair for a little really? bit. I did. I lived... Uh, what is the main street? It's Bloomfield Avenue. Yeah, yeah. I lived up Bloomfield, and when you go past like the train station and fucking what people call it a bad side of the tracks yeah, or whatever... Yeah. Up toward Lackawanna like, Plaza. Yes, know? yeah, over there. But you know where the movie theater is? The nice one. Yeah, like a Clearview or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Claridge. Claridge. That's it. I lived kind of a, a street up from that, uh, buried back. My brother used to work at a like by the library. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a nice area, man. Yeah, it's sweet. It's a nice little town. Did you grow up? Are you a money kid? Did you grow up with money? I was not. I, you know, my dad. I went to this little private school. Um, so you were dad, a money kid, man. No, my dad was the the history teacher. He was everybody's favorite seventh grade history teacher. He was that guy. Get out of here. He's great. He's a he great was the, the people teacher. that motherfuckers stand up. Captain, my captain. You know, he dressed up in colonial garb for like you know uh, colonial history. He came in in costume. Yeah. So, so he's like Lisa's teacher on The Simpsons. <laughs> The, I don't remember Dustin Hoffman did the voice. No, he came I don't. dressed as a cowboy. Well, I have like to. That. I have to look this up now. That's, that's my dad. Get out of here, Mr. Bichet. So everybody, he was the one. So it wasn't. Our, it wasn't one of these like, oh, my dad's a teacher at the school. It was, it was definitely that because he would like, you know, they had lost and found, and uh, they'd try and get rid of all the lost and found stuff, and um, so he would come out dressed like in drag, you know, trying to get people to <laughs> go pick up their stuff from lost and found. Um, in like seventh grade, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> So, so your dad was the favorite gay teacher at the school. 
There was one time I remember we we had to go to the grocery store on the way back from school, and this was when and he would wear it to school, like driving to school in the car with his tri corner hat and everything, you know. So we're at the grocery store on the way home. I'm 12 years old, and I'm like pretending this isn't happening. I'm so pissed at my dad. And we're walking out. I'm like five yards in front of him, like like not acknowledging him at all. And he comes up from behind me and he grabs me and he throws me over his shoulder. And I'm literally walking out of the grocery store, kicking and screaming while a colonial man is like abducting me. It was people were like, I knew they'd come back. <laughs> it was only a matter of time, man. We went to the like reenactments of the Battle of Gettysburg and. So he's a like real that. history nerd kind of he's guy. A big history nerd. So he was not the key to acting. He wasn't the unless it's like I like dressing up like my father. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I think he is a little. I'm. I'm. Uh, I think a product of both my parents equally, and he's definitely like a gregarious kind of a guy. And my mom is very sensitive and quiet. She's a veterinary technician. Um, how do you make the transition then? When when do you decide like I want to start acting? Did you when do I, it in school when you were a kid? Yeah, when I was twelve. Uh, well, I was a, I was a, a little ballet dancer like every little girl wants to be and but that didn't go much past when I was 12 because I did Macbeth when I was in seventh grade and I had this really amazing teacher and um he would never talk down to kids and he was always really respectful and um we did Macbeth when I was in seventh grade and then we did the or, basically the Oristaya when I was in eighth grade so it's like Trojan women um <laughs> why, why where did you go to school on. um it was this oh the uh, private school yeah this private school called MKA Montclair Kimberly Academy little school graduated in class of 98 kids wow um but then it was really this one Chris, uh, this uh, teacher I had Christian Ely mm. and um we did just community theater in the summers we did a Shakespeare play every year um uh, all through high school and then I went to Northwestern and was a theater major there. And for the drama program, yeah, specifically for the, to to be a theater major. Four years, do you finish? Four years, I finished. I graduated. What I have a degree. Make, how do you start making a living? How do you start getting paid to? Well, I, you know, I act? did I did some theater um, out of school in New York, so a, a couple off Broadway plays. Right out of school, my first job I, I got cast in was this one woman show that Alan Rickman directed. And oh, adapted. Fucking, yeah, I know that show about the girl in, uh, on the yeah. other side of the wall. What is it? Yeah, it's called My Name is Rachel Corey. I mean, that's it. My Name is Rachel Corey. You were in that? Yeah, I was in that. I was, Did I he was direct one you? of the New York. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I learned some pretty incredible What lessons. a fucking small world. I remember that dude calling me and being like, would you like to come see a play that I'm doing in New York? You know. <laughs> well, you should have gone to see it. I, he, and he was going like, this is uh, the girl in the play is amazing. And I was just like, oh man, I can't, uh, I can't, right? We were working on something else at that point. I was like, I want to go and I can't because he had sent me the script and it was so cool. It's one act. It's really great. It's really yeah, it's, powerful. It's a one woman show. I was, yeah. there were three actresses that did it in New York. Um, the one, the girl who originated it in London came over and did it for a little while. And then the, the other two of us took over um it's this one woman show 90 minutes um about this girl from oregon you know a blonde american girl who went to palestine to protest for palestinian rights and uh, ended up being run over by an israeli bulldozer and she died um spoiler <laughs> um, and this was you know this was current events it it really happened and um then they found the Guardian newspaper in London found her journal entries and like her diary and her um, emails and stuff. And they edited it into this uh, play. And it, it was a really powerful thing. Really, I think really important for it to be done in New York, especially uh, a lot of the theaters there, a lot of, um, 
you know, uh, Jewish support for the theater in New York. And they tried to do it originally someplace else at New York Theater Workshop. He ran into trouble. Somebody uh, tried to make it kind of like, what is this? Is this a pro-Palestinian piece? No way. Tried to turn it political. And it's... While it would seem like, based on hearing the the name Palestine, immediately people politicize it. The play, from what I understand, it wasn't really political. No, I, well, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't so much political. It, it didn't put forward any sort of statement about Israel and Palestine. It was really right. about a young person uh, sort of entering into the you know. And the first half of the play, she's sort of spewing all this propaganda, and um, you know, it, it's about s- opening your eyes to injustice in the world. And really not being able to close them. And, right. and sort of like that, the tragedy of like a, a young, uh, compassionate person running into, uh, the, the hard walls of the world. And that is, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I think is absolutely one of them. And so anyway, you know, me as a young person, this is my first real professional theater job. Uh, it was unbelievable. And, and where they do it? Where was the show at? It was at the Minetta Lane. Do you know that theater? Uh-uh. It's a great little theater. It's really cool. And how long did you, how long were you in, uh, in the show? It was a couple months. Now, how does a job like that pay? What do you get paid to be in a show like that? I think that was like, not like 900 bucks a week. And I is guess. that, and out of college, that's like, that's woo. like, oh, that's like amazing. I mean, just to do the play. I mean, I don't even, right, you don't need money when you're out of nickels. college. You can eat like, ramen noodles and stuff um but that was that was great and i learned some really great things too like alan i remember and i I try and remember this all the time if i ever get nervous uh you know i'm like 21 years old (laughs) i'm about to go do a play for like talk for 90 minutes to like hundreds of people it's terrifying terrifying um and Alan came back and he was like, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. And he was like, oh, you know, it, it's not about you. And I was like, oh, you know, and it isn't. And that's, that's something I really like to take with me that it's really not. You just have to tell this story and, um, those feelings about my being frightened or whatever really just get in the way of doing my job. Right. All right. So from there, what? When do you, when do you start getting into the world of, television and whatnot. um deb aquila i think that spring <laughs> and she cast me in a pilot that zach braff was directing mm-hmm. uh his brother wrote it and he directed it a medical show like an emt thing and here's your sides go tv moves real fast yeah, yeah. Really fast. which i guess you would come to learn because years later you wind up working with him again correct I, yeah I, I was the new zach braff on this the show scrubs for on a little scrubs. while now scrubs ran for what nine years nine years and you were the last year i was the last season did you come in on the last season i wasn't familiar with the show you didn't come in at eight at all you came when they moved networks or something well yeah there were a couple things that happened towards the end i think they did seven seasons and they kind of called it quits and then the the network was like we don't want it anymore but the studio was like we'll put it on our network so they did another season in eighth season and they're like that's it <laughs> and then they were like i don't know let's see if we can pull it out for another year right, so right. they did um and they like it changed to med it was scrubs med school so we were all med students and and he went it, it was braff became a teacher or something like yeah that? yeah he was like a like a professor at the med school and they sort of phased his narrator character out and kind of phased me in as the new narrator so you became the lead of the show Yes. What was that like, man? Like, and I mean, you knew that going in, like the moment you took the job, they're like, 
look, we're transitioning from this dude to you as the as the head of the show? Um, I I actually didn't know that when I auditioned for it. They mm. it was just you know a, a role on the show and. Um, I knew a couple of the people, you know, on the crew and stuff from working with Zach before on his pilot. Uh, and then after I got the job, they kind of explained what it was. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and it's great. There were some things that were great about it and there were some things that were like really hard. Um, but I learned a whole lot. It's like a, you know, is there 12 to 16 hours a day, five days a week? That's a lot of work. And, um, it's like a, you know, an intensive acting training experience and comedy style. You know, it's a very particular sort of, um, I think about scrubs as like modern day vaudeville, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's sort of like a, like a, I don't know, they do these little fantasy pops and mm-hmm. you get to do a lot of fun things. Like one day you're, running from real Doberman pinchers and like jumping across desks and stuff. And another day you're dressed up in like 1970s roller skating gear and you're like doing a, I mean, you know, who knows? Right. Um, so that's, you know, that was fun. Um, was it, uh, when they eventually they were just like, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, kind of. Yeah. How did it happen? Did it, was it, I honestly don't even know. It was like a real slow realization. You know, they never really actually pull the plug. So it's right. not very official. So it just kind of like peters out and you kind of get the sense. It's, it's really weird. It's like a relationship going bad. It's not like, you know, and nobody, know. and the dude just doesn't want to be like, look, I can't stand you anymore. <laughs> you know, he's just like, he wants like you to fuck working. up. Right, right. It's not you. It's the network's changing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, eventually you get a, a phone call from the showrunner and they're like, it's official, you know. What was no it like being, um, on a show, not only being on a show every week, but being essentially kind of the head of the show, man. Like essentially everything kind of revolves around your character at that point. So the schedule is going to revolve around your character as well. I mean, that's, that's gotta be something you're, you're scarcely out of college, scarcely out of the theater. And all of a sudden somebody's like, here, man, carry a whole fucking show. Um, Nerve wracking. Or do you just fucking like start swimming immediately and worry about the nerves later? It's, it's more, it's more the latter. You you know, you have your job to do and that's a real perfect time. You know, uh, I remembered daily Alan Rickman <laughs> telling me, you know, it's not about you. Right. Um, and you just, you know, you just got to show up and do your job. And I, you know, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't really happy with my work on like the first part of the show. And, uh, I was feeling a lot of pressure and, um, you know, I felt like I kind of needed some more support in different directions, but I didn't know who to get it from. And, uh, towards the end, I think we, we sort of figured it out. And, um, uh, but TV tends not to be so much about the directors. It tends to be about the writers and they have a lot of say in where the show goes, what you do every week. And so if you've got a question about character motivation and stuff, you're going to talk to the writers. Uh, yeah, but you don't, you know, it, I'm sure it varies from show to show, but we didn't do a whole lot of that. They would just come to you with, you know, your script for the week and that was that. Yeah. And then no kind of like, let's talk about this <laughs> script. Let's break it down. <laughs> do you do shit like that for yourself or do you just like, you know what? I can't even pretend to kind of fucking break it down and find the inner character life or whatever for a fucking sitcom or do you do that for each thing? um you know the times i think that i'm most proud of what i did was when i did uh find that you know and right um and it just it doesn't have to be super artsy or you know emotional even really just uh something really clear that you're trying to do mm. something you're trying to get from the person that you're in the scene with and you know better written scenes are 
easier to do that with. They're easier to find something clear to do, uh, not to, uh, the, the scenes, obviously my favorite scene in your movie that we got to do, I really love, and I really loved even just auditioning for it because it's, it's really well written. It's very clear. It's very specific. What she wants, um, is, is pretty clear. Uh, and there are a number of different tactics she uses in the scene, uh, to try and get what she wants. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is kind of like, there is a clear purpose to that scene. It's not just like you sitting around some dudes going like, do you think Princess Leia used to give blowjobs to Han Solo? You know, there's no, you know, normal I write scripts like that. This time I got to write a script where it's just, you know, the scene that you're talking about is, it's a powerful fucking scene. And it is like, it was, that's this, I mean, you auditioned with the scene. That's the scene that Hand, hands down got you the job your performance in that scene alone the um and again we can't talk about it again because we haven't seen it yet but it's a pretty powerful piece of acting um that scene we uh, I, we did it in a couple takes two takes and i loved what i had i was watching her and you know that's pretty much what i do i don't direct as i've said i just edit and so i was just literally watching as carrie's dropping fucking science in the scene Going, I got that moment, got that moment. That's great. That's fantastic. I got this. We do two takes. I have everything I need looking at Carrie in, in the hero size. And so uh, I was like, um, I'm done. I'm good. And she goes, what? And I was like, I'm, I'm finished. I, I, I got everything I need. Do you want to go again? And she goes, what do you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, not if, and she did that thing that all actors do, which this. is like, we're standing, I remember this moment so clearly. We're standing in the doorway and you're like, we can do another one. If you want to, we can do another one. I was like, I, uh. yes, it's the old actor like, well, if you're happy, then we can move on. But that's like, really, they're going like, oh God, no, like I, there's so much more I had planned. I hadn't reached into the trick bag yet. So I was like, if you, uh, if I said, uh, I'm good. And she goes, well, if you're good, go ahead. And I was like, okay. And I started to walk away and you could see she's lingering. And I was just like, Carrie, this is the last time you ever get to do this monologue. Do you want to go one more time? And she's like, just if we won. And I was like, okay. And we went and did it. And mind you, this was like, for me, the Carrie take, like just give, give her, this will get it off her chest. I know I've got everything I need. It could be gravy. I could get more shit at this point, but this is more for her than for me. I've already got my scene. And then we roll and Fucking Carrie notches, ratchets the performance up 75% from the previous take, which was good enough for me to be like, I'm, I'm done. Like in the second take, I was like, this, I'm so satisfied with this. We're moving on. She does this next take, ratchets the performance level up 75%, pull shit. I, I, I mean, I didn't even know it was there. Like basically the first two takes you'd given that audition performance. And that's what I went in expecting. And I was like, there's the moment there. That's what I got is what I wanted. This is what I like. This is what I got. And then given that, like, last opportunity, like, you want to try one more? She was like, okay. And, and you fucking brought out heretofore unplumbed depths, to say the least. And afterwards, I was like, wow, Carrie Bichet, we always got to go one more. We're very good. Let's move on. Whole time, I'm sitting there in my head going, what the fuck just happened? Like, how come she did that? How? And I held on to it for maybe half a day. I don't think I asked you the next day. I asked you the same day later on. Yeah. Like, later on, I had to come up to her, and I was just like, I'm just curious, man. What, what was it? about that third take like we were done like what was it about the third take where did you pull that and she goes i knew it was the last time i was ever gonna get to do it and i was like good to know fair enough that was totally cool it's a beautiful fucking moment beautiful performance like uh, it was fantastic right then and there i was like oh god this chick one day she's gonna walk away with 10 
and shit like that. Um, and tin meaning awards, not like, you know, like a cup begging and shit. Um, uh, can I just, that's a, a really rare moment to find with a director. I think it was really one of the most, um, uh, you know, you don't always get a ton of respect as an actor, either for your job or for you as a person. I'm, I'm blonde. I'm, you know, a girl. And I'm in Hollywood. Um, but, uh, you know, to have your, your director come and ask you what, what did you do really wanting to get an answer is yeah. a, a really, a, really a great moment. Um, let's uh, tell the, the Carrie Bechet is a great sport story. Um, and try to do this. This is, uh, and I gotta try to do this being respectful and also kind of being, uh, uh, non-spoilerish. Uh, there's a, a wonderful actor in the movie named Mark Blucas, uh, who I've worked with before he was in jail. Very sweet. Sweetheart of a guy and a really good actor and he's fucking tight as fuck in the movie. Perfect, uh, for exactly what he's doing. And he, he came loaded for bear. He sounds, can't say too much about it because then it spoils it, but it involves some gunplay. Um, and they have to interact. Carrie and Mark have a sequence together, a very physical sequence, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, isn't actually, you know what? Let me take it back. It's not all that physical. Um, a little bit. There's some running, stopping. You could see the moment in the trailer, uh, if you've seen the teaser on, yeah. online in the red state. There's uh, some grappling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a shot. You'll see Carrie kind of comes running through two, what look like tractor trailers behind the house. And then the ground kind of explodes in front of her. So it's that sequence. Um, the uh at one point in the in the rough housing in the grappling uh mark who's got uh, more than one weapon on him for the sequence um uh, one of them in the in the midst of a tussle moving around one of the the guns comes off of him off of his person and land like goes sailing through the air and lands on carrie's hand carrie's in the scene carrie's on the ground and her hands are kind of palms are on the ground and the gun, like, and it's a, I don't know, a gun guy, but I think it's like, it's like a, a, it's a pistol. It's like a desert eagle. It was a pretty big fucking pistol. Yeah. Landed right on her fucking hand. And like, you know, I'm, I'm a few yards away behind the monitor, but all of a sudden you just, something you can see, you know, either suddenly the dialogue stops and then there's a, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and everybody's moving in a way that, you know, you weren't blocking. So whoop, you're on your feet and you're seeing something happen over there and you go over and the gun had, kind of fallen out of his costume and bam, hit your hand to the point of like broke a little skin. So it was like, Oh my God, of all the places that gun could land right on her poor fucking hand, like, Oh man. And so we were like running up against it time wise and stuff. Once again, if we had cash on the movie, if it was one of those movies with a budget, you know, we'd be like, Hey man, let's, let's set this aside and take care of Carrie's in. We'll finish this sequence another day or something like that. But it was one of these movies where it's just like, how's your hand? You okay? You know, like it really hurts. I'm like, ah, you're okay. Get back in there. You know? <laughs> so we took care of her hand, ministered to as best we can and went up. But Carrie's such a trooper and shit. She's like, we got to live. I want to go. Can we keep going? We're like, great. Let's fucking do it. And Mark is mortified. Poor Mark Blucas is just like, like a big guy, big dude, big sweetheart of a dude, man. <laughs> and he, and he's, and this, he's got so much to do in this sequence. Um, you know, a lot of things to say and a lot of motions to, to do. He's very, being very physical in the scene as well, acting with his entire fucking body. But he's just like, Oh man, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, that's an accident. You can't that, fucking help that kind of thing. Don't worry about it. I'm, she's fine. I'm sure she'd be fine. Blah, blah, blah. We go two takes later. We're doing something else where the tussle continues and fucking like there is a i don't know how else to say it but there's a fucking rifle and or machine gun one of these guns that rapid fires um 
that just I'm watching the monitor and there's a body movement and this fucking thing goes swinging through the frame. And as I'm looking at it on the monitor, I was like, there's no way that that goes swinging like that without. And sure enough, you just hear bap and ah, and we look over and Carrie took it right in the fucking head. Where was it? Oh, right here on the forehead. This, the fuck, uh, the gun, uh, the, what was it, like the muzzle yep. of the gun had just kind of slipped on. It was harnessed around. He was wearing it like the. Yeah, like swung off his shoulder. Kind of swung off being slung around his shoulder and bam, clipped her in the fucking head at that point. You were the second red state cast member we had to send to the fucking <laughs> hospital. Nick, we had like the, I, I guess remember. the week or a week and a half or two weeks prior or something like that. So suddenly, yeah, they were like, we got to send Carrie. We got to send, they literally sent you to the hospital. And Which is like great because you show up at the hospital and like, you know, my, <laughs> my knuckles are busted and I got like a thing on my head, but I'm also covered in like other scrapes and dirt and, you know, like makeup scrapes and stuff. And we get there and they're like, Oh my God, were you in a car accident? Like, are you okay? Yeah. Um, the I makeup was we, great. The, it was <laughs> the thing. She's makeup. wearing this makeup and in the scene, She's all fucked up anyway and looking rough and worse for wear. So she comes in with the real head injury, but it's all surrounded by all this fucking makeup yeah, well, and dirty at, clothes. At one point I go to the, the nurse or whatever and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, well, a lot of it's makeup. And she's like, oh, okay. She looks a little closer. She's like, yeah, no, that's not all. That's not all makeup. <laughs> <laughs> because like of the, a big ugly. Oh, you did. She had a big eggy right on her head. It was, it was kind of, it was, it, it, well, you, you deserved hazard pay on that movie. And, <laughs> Poor Carrie is fucking like, you're put in the position of you got slammed in the fucking head. It's painful. It, you know, it, it's, it's leaving a mark. And then at the same time, she's so sweet. She's not like anybody else would have been like, get this motherfucker off the planet. He hit me with two guns. You know, instead <laughs> she was just like, she kept trying to make him feel better. She's like, oh. as she's literally losing consciousness, from the hit, she's just like, it's okay, Mark, I'm fine. Bam, you know, going out. Um, it, no, I've, it's way, seriously, it's way worse for the guy that hits the girl with guns twice. Yes, yes. It's like it, so much worse for that guy. And he still have, we still had stuff to shoot and pour, oh, he had to carry that like a weight for the rest of the day yeah, and whatnot, sucks, apologizing to everybody sucks. who'd listen and whatnot. Oh. And they were all like, dude, it's not your fault. And we were like, fuck her, Carrie's a bitch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, you were quite the fucking trooper. I did go to, after we wrapped, I went to see you in the hospital. And, um, I felt bad for your boyfriend was with you. And I'm like, there's no way these motherfuckers don't be like, what'd you do to her? Yeah. Like, I remember describing to the people in the ER, I was like, well, yeah, I got a pistol dropped on my hand and then like a, like a rifle slung into my head. They're like, what were you doing? Um, <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, to, uh, other stuff. You'd done a feature. Not too long before that with Edward Burns, mm -hmm. uh, called, was it Nice Guy Johnny? Nice Guy Johnny. Was that yeah. the first feature for you or no? Um, I'd done, I think a couple. At least the first little... where you were like front and center. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much the, the first big thing for me. And, um, you guys are funny. You're, you know, two kind of indie filmmakers from the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think very, you know, very different in certain ways. Um, I used to hate Burns. <laughs> I, I, I keep hearing all this. Oh, God. This. I, yeah, I believe in a big way. Burns Maybe was like my know. fucking Lex Luthor. Either that or I was Burns' Lex Luthor because he was like a Superman in those days. He made the Brothers McMullen, yeah. um, in 1995. We made Clerks and, well, Clerks came out in 94. 
Uh, Brothers McMullen came out in 95 and, uh, it was, for me, I was like, I watched the movie and I was like, man, this, everyone was talking about, oh my God, have you seen this amazing indie film? And I saw the movie. I was like, this isn't an indie film. This is a Hollywood film with no budget to it. Like this movie just mm-hmm. plays like a standard rom-com, just doesn't have a budget. And uh, it, it took off, made like 10 million, which at that point was fucking huge in indie film. I think yeah. it was, Fox Searchlight's initial release. But yeah, he was the guy against uh, whom I would kind of grade my career at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like where like Ed, Ed Burns movie made 10 million, where ours made three. The first one, Mallrats at the, at the box office. Then, I mean, uh, Clerks did, the Mallrats made two. Burns's movie came out and did 10. And so that pushed me on Chasing Amy and we made 12. You know, it was just one of those people that you kept pace with. Like, did you ever see Say Anything? Yeah. The chick that goes up to uh, Ioni Sky at the party. She's like, I know we were in competition all year long, but I just want to say Diane Court. Wow. Like, he was the guy that I would Aww. kind of always go like, where's, what is he doing? All right, I got to make sure I'm doing my shit. But that was in the 90s. Then he fell off the fucking face of the map or something like that. Started making movies. He started making movies that stopped going to theaters like he literally st- he sold one of his movies on itunes or something like that was that. actually that was the this one too and did that with, being, the, with nice guy johnny yeah it was the it's this new thing the multi-platform digital video release. on so demand it's, all, yeah, it's on demand itunes like a bunch of different things yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it's sort of an alternative way of uh delivering your indie movies and i think for different people you know it's it just i think it works for different movies and mm. um that movie that we did was like super uber low it was cheap budget. right it was like 200 grand or something like that less twenty five thousand. is that what it was but you know we're talking like he's got a guy that holds the camera a guy that holds the boom and he's like making burgers for lunch you know right. um so and, and that was like a great you know a totally different experience obviously um I really, I really dug working on Red State. I learned a lot of, uh, like, a lot of things about myself and about, you know, acting and, um, got to work with some really great people. Michael Parks is, like, one of my new favorite people. Mm. Um, I think he's just incredible in this movie. There was a point in pre-production at one point, I think it was via email or something like that, where we were talking about trying to figure out the voice of the Cooper family, so to speak. Um, uh, which, and you play that we saw on the clip, Cheyenne, who is, uh, Aben, Michael Park's character, Aben Cooper, uh, his granddaughter, you're one of his granddaughters, you're Melissa Leo's, uh, daughter in the flick and Ralph Garman's daughter in the flick. It- um, so, uh, in, in that, uh, sequence, uh, when we were talking, sorry, in the email before, and while we were in pre-production, uh, we were trying to, I was trying to talk about the, uh, voice of the Cooper family and I was like, you know what? I'm so not the guy. We were trying to figure out a regional dialect. Yeah. I said, I'm so not the guy. Really, you should talk to Parks because I think basically everyone needs to ape whatever Michael's doing because he's patriarch. So everyone should kind of sound not exactly like him, but a little keep an ear toward what he's doing or whatever. So early on, I was like, go talk to Michael Parks. Yeah, so we did. And we went went out and had lunch and it was amazing yeah (laughs) totally amazing he's an interesting cat we talked about the dialect for about five minutes uh but i think it turned out pretty well the dialect i'm pretty happy with it yeah um but we talked about dialect for about five minutes and then he told me he's lived like a life and a half man it's nuts 
Um, He's full of story. He's going to be not this week and not next week, but he's the last one of these we do before we go up to Park City. You guys should all come back and see it. Yeah, he'll he'll be there for. I I imagine that one will sit for a a long. He's hilarious too. I mean, he's so funny. Funny guy, packed with stories, and he is like living history, living film history, living pop culture history, living music history because he's like has a yeah touchstone. He's like talking about when he was hanging out with Johnny Cash. You're like what? Like when he almost played professional baseball, and you're like, what are you? Who are you? He's like Forrest Gump, like a smart Forrest Gump who can act really well and fucked more than once. Um, what's more important to you, man? Is it uh, the size of the part or um, screen time or obviously not what you're getting paid because you were in fucking red state? Um, what, what is it? What draws you? What makes you go like, all right, man, I'm going to take, I'm going to give a little piece of me to this. I'm going to give up a few months of my life. And, and I mean, Carrie Fisher talks about like, uh, this, the experience of star Wars isn't just like the experience of being in the movie, but she's like, I gave up my 18 to 22 year old image for the rest of my life. She's like, I don't own what I look like when I was that age. George Lucas does and he can do with it whatever he wants. So she's like, I see my face on Pez. I see it on shampoo and shit like that. So it's, it is giving a little piece of you to that performance and kind of capturing not just the time that you dedicate to like how many weeks slash months or whatever that you put into that particular role and or film. But you're always going to be identified with that. Some people carry it like luggage, like Christopher Reeve, you know, stuff to escape being Superman because a role becomes so identifiable. So what is it for you when you're picking? What do you gravitate toward? What's the thing that makes you go like, all right, this is worth it, worth the time and the effort? It's really hard. You know, Carrie Fisher, I'm sure, had no idea what was going to happen. And you really never know Mm -hmm. what it's going to be like. Um so it, it's tough to know and it's always a gamble and it's always, you know, I, I started to try and think about it like a big experiment. I can't, I, I don't want to judge myself anymore for, you know, doing something that in retrospect was like stupid or, you know, like turned out to be bad. Um, because, you know, you can't know and you'll, you'll never do anything, uh, if you have you know, super, you know, strident rules about what you will and won't do. So I think uh, I'm trying to be pretty open about stuff. Um, I like things where, uh, that I, that I perceive as well-written something where the character is, um, maybe, uh, sort of complex and a little surprising, uh, something that I feel like I can relate to in some, in some small way or farther away the character is from who I am, the more I can learn about myself. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more other people can, uh, practice empathy really right. so, so the the more different these people are from us and the more human i can make them uh you know the more work we're doing to to really empathize and not judge people that are different from us and i think that's really the core of why i think why i believe believe in acting really i do believe in it and uh it's not just like a job or my career that's what i i think is good about being an actor like for the world and if there was a gooey center to this movie at all or a ray of hope or light um you're you're definitely (laughs) it in the movie but at the same time you're you're also part of this family it's 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 a really interesting performance and a really interesting 
um, character. Cool role, yeah. yeah, because it's, it's, uh, you, you want to fucking embrace this character. I mean, you want to embrace somebody in the movie and just be like, all right, one of these people is, it, there's a moral barometer to somebody here. Um, and you, uh, at a certain point, become the most obvious choice. Like, oh, it must be her. And even you, at the end, you know, you, you got to always remember, like, it's weird. We watch the movie, and me and John periodically, um, he would just be like, God, she's so fucking good in that scene. I was like, you know how good she is in that scene? You forget that in a couple seconds she's going to say something that's going to remove all sympathy and empathy that you have for her. Um, it was, it was, it was tricky, man. It was a tightrope walk, and you, you pulled it off. You really humanized monsters which is, is tough to tough to do so big props to you Thanks, man. um let's go out to you guys who's got a question hi how's it going good uh my question is um obviously we haven't seen the film but it, it seems like it's it has the potential to be political and uh religious in its divisiveness and even if it's not it may or may not be covered that way in the press so i guess my question is do you ever uh, take that into account when you choose roles if, if it might be like you choosing sides politically religiously or, or does that not matter to you um it matters to me as a person but i think um I, I learned this a while ago when i was doing that play with alan rickman my name is rachel Corey. i went and did a panel discussion with other young women activists and i was like completely out of place because i'm not a, an activist and i heard them all sort of talk about you know, uh, being against the death penalty and why you should be against the death penalty and stuff. And I realized that the difference between me as, as an artist is that I don't have an agenda, uh, other than to, uh, ask a bunch of questions. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what to think or, you know, whether to support Israel or Palestine or whatever. Um, and it's hard as an actor, I think, I guess it's hard in some ways and easy in some ways. Uh, I didn't write it, you know, so I can always stand behind the fact like I didn't write it, I didn't say it. Uh, but I think that's kind of... That's that's well, you know, that's the defense I'm going to use. And I'm like, I, I didn't write it, it ain't mine. <laughs> Clearly, no Jay, no Silent Bob, couldn't be me. <laughs> um, but uh, it does matter to me. And it, mostly I don't want to do things that like denigrate women or are racist or... Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And I really do try and stay away from that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a big, it's a big gray area. And, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's an ongoing conversation, I guess. So yeah, I do think about it. You talked about the Alan Rickman 90 minute play. Um, what did you do as an actress to prepare for such a kind of what I assume was a, you know, uh, difficult or long jaunt by yourself on stage? Yeah. And um, what did it do to you afterwards? Like, were you exhausted afterwards? Or are you just super actress and, <laughs> you know, able to <laughs> plow through it and, you know, go out and dance afterwards? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, mostly, I just, I learned my lines. I just learned my lines. That's, uh, and the way uh, Alan Rickman and a lot of the Brits do it, they basically just say, learn your lines and just, like, say them as fast as you can and you'll get through it just fine. Uh, I think that's a approach acting a lot of them um <laughs> learning the lines was actually just like such a superhuman feat um once you felt like you you learned the lines it kind of all just fell into place a little bit and alan was great he even had scripts hidden all around the stage because he was like i don't want you to worry about that 
So you should, you know, if if you ever need to, you just go, you like pick up the script. Nobody will know. You just like flip through the page, find your find your line, and like go on. It was the physical experience of doing it was so. You got to the end and you just wanted to like celebrate and cry. Like it was so, in, just such an intense uh, physical task. Um, it's invigorating and exhausting all at once. It was great. Best feeling in your life. I love doing theater. I love, um, the schedule. You know, you go to work at six, you're done by 10. You like go out with your friends every night and you sleep till 12. Like what could be better? Yeah. That's a fucking hobo's life right there, man. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Um, the hard part about doing that was, you know, I was just out of college and, um, I, you know, you say lines in this play where you're like, you know, you just can't believe it unless you see it and you have to be there. And here I, I just felt like such a faker. I just felt like such a phony, you know? Um, and people, uh, Palestinian people would come up to you after the play and just like weeping and tell you about their family and these people that died. And, you know, I'm like, I, and then they say thank you they're like thanking you and you're like i you know i'm just an actor and i I really struggled with that for a long time and i felt like i should i should go to palestine i really (laughs) i should be there now um and that was actually a really hard thing to kind of grapple with to really and i've i've done this sort of periodically going to college um i was saying uh you could see the New York City skyline from my high school. And mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school when um, September 11th happened. And we watched it all happen, like, outside the cafeteria window. Um, Why, you view up downtown? Yeah. Can you can see it. the whole You can see the whole city. Um, and we, we literally watched it happen. Um, <laughs> and it was really hard for me to... to look at my life and say, I want to, I want to be an actor with my life. I felt like, you know, I'm a person with a brain. I should, I should be in politics. I should go fix these like major, huge problems with the world. And, um, so it, it took a lot for me to come to terms with why I thought being an actor was also a good thing for the world. And, uh, doing, uh, Rachel Corey was uh, definitely another, uh, you know, time of addressing that question. Um, what it can do for people. And I think the answer is in those people that come up to you and uh, you've done something for them. You know, if it's just telling their story to them or to other people. And so, I don't know, that was, that was a thing. <laughs> it's so weird that you went from like that play to like now be on scrubs. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's one from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. But no less. You were, you, you know, boy, you were thrown in the deep end of the pool to start with. And then somebody was like, go get in the kiddie pool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's just, it's, uh, the rarefied air of doing like off-Broadway theater is, is just different, uh, from the rarefied air of doing a network sitcom. Right. You know? But they're both deep. They're both the, the deep, deep end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, I guess in terms of like a sitcom, the content may be kind of like, you know, very shallow. But the amount of work that you put into it is about as it's aggregate to probably what you do on a in a stage show. Um, yeah, I I don't even know how to compare. I really don't even have the tools to compare the two. Experiences, it's like baseball but, and football. Like they're both sports, but like you couldn't combine the two. Of them. Yeah, I don't know anything about them. Sports. A little bit. I played basketball. I Did you? I, I didn't even do that. I'm a total fucking pussy guy. Did you play hockey? Uh, no, I just wear the jerseys. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for doing the book. I feel like I, I couldn't, 
I couldn't. I, I, I wanted to hold you until after Sundance because we're into a second semester of this because then it would have been so much easier to like throw up one of your fucking yeah. primo scenes. I can't it, wait for you guys to see it. it I mean, it's, really it's, it's weird. It. It's weird having a very superficial conversation about a, a performance that is so fucking layered. And, and there's a zillion things I could talk to you about, but we should just have you back after we see the movie. I'll do it. So that, yeah, so that we can be like, okay, now let's talk about the role. <laughs> How the fuck did you do that? Um, but thanks for coming out and, and, and talking to these cats tonight. Thank you more importantly for really coming and dropping fucking science in the movie. Uh, I was talking uh, with Michael last week about there are key moments in pre-production where, uh, for me, I just felt kind of safe, where I was just like, all right, we're on the right track, or we're in good hands. And when I sat down with Michael at one point, I was like, all right, we're in good hands, we're in good hands and shit. I, I feel like I, I, I felt like he knew what he was doing. I knew what I wanted him to do, but more importantly, he wasn't a dude that was just like, mold me, I'm clay. You know, he, he came prepared. He's done a lot of work. Same with you. Um, the difference was you were the, you were not a surprise because I'd seen the audition, so I knew what you were capable of. But you were, it was basically like getting a box of devil dogs and then open it up and under the devil dogs, weed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was just like, just when I thought shit was good enough, like I'm like, I love devil dogs. I got me a whole fucking box. And then just when you finished, you were like, oh my God, somebody hid weed in here. And that's what your performance was like, you know. The, the audition. I, I've been compared to a lot of things. Yeah, but never uh, weed at the box, the bottom weed of a devil at dog the box. Bottom of a devil dog's box. I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm classy. Um, <laughs> but it is. It's. It's. I thought I knew what I was getting, um, and I thought I knew exactly what I was getting, and and that's exactly what I wanted because your performance was so off the charts, wonderful. But you came and, and uh, taught an old dog new tricks to the point where I literally had to go to you and be like, how'd you do that? You know, so that's, it's always refreshing when somebody could fucking like make you go like, oh, there's still so much to learn. And I could learn from somebody who, who, who's fucking young and hasn't been doing it as long as I have. There's, 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 you know, kernels of knowledge fucking everywhere. And you brought a bunch. I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't say that I was like, oh, I'd underestimated you, but I knew exactly what I was getting into based on the audition until you fucking like opened up your bag and then suddenly it was like, Oh, I, I wasn't even prepared. So thank you for that. You treated it so fucking seriously. And because of that, anyone that shared a scene with you had to treat it seriously too. So you didn't just execute, you elevated, not just yourself, but those around you in the scene. And because of that movie fucking works, like it's unbelievable. And you're a linchpin in it. When everybody sees it, they'll understand what I'm talking about. But couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, can I just say really quick? No, I, we're moving uh, on. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never really been in uh, an experience where I felt so uh, supported. And uh, I just felt like from the absolute get-go, you believed in me so much. And I think that really enables all the rest of the stuff to happen. And um, so, you know, maybe you should try that. Like, I'm going to do it for everybody I meet, you know, really assume the, the very best of them. And, um, cause I know for me, it just felt like I was allowed to be. Yeah. Um, it was just like, go crazy. Well, I mean, that, t your audition was your ticket in. And once you're in, it's just like, okay, you're here because I know you can do this. So go crazy. Here's your, here's your space. Show me what you can do. Here's your stage. And so, like I said, going in, I, I knew what I was going to get, but you, you know, fucking turned up the gas. Like you found that fucking nitrous button and 
the car took off again. So I, I that that was Is that a Fast and the Furious reference. I mean, I guess it could be, but like there was nitrous long before the Fast and the Furious. Oh, really? That was like Spy Hunter, the video game. Remember? (laughs) Was that on Game Boy or something? No, it was even worse. It was back in back when we used to play video games in places that weren't our houses in arcades. Man, Spy Hunter was like one of those stand-up games. Weird. You never. (laughs) What year were you born? What year were you born? Nineteen. 1984. What? Of course you don't know Spy Hunter and shit, man. We go to, we go to this place in Williamsburg called Barcade. Yeah. It's a bar and an arcade. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, you are great. Thank you for coming out tonight. Thanks we will have you too. back after, uh, everyone sees the movie so we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of what you actually did rather than that very brief clip. Everybody give it up for Carrie Bechet. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. We'll see you next week on Red State of the Union Q&A's. Good night. Find more funny shit like this at Smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from. There are so many to choose from on the Smodcast Podcast Network. On Sundays, it's me and Scott doing the classic Smodcast, the show that started it all. Mondays, it's me and Ralph Garman doing Hollywood Babylon. There's so many to choose from. Tuesdays, you get a double shot of goodness, man. Malcolm Ingram's blowhard, as well as Red State of the Union Q&As, our podcast show about our forthcoming movie. There's so many to choose from. On Thursdays, drop the gloves with the puck nuts. The same guys that bring you Tell Em Steve Dave on Fridays. And don't forget on Saturdays, Jay and Silent Bob get old with me and Jason Muse. There's so many to choose from. You could try some shows that aren't so regular. It just happen every once in a while like Highlands, a peephole history. Where me and people that grew up in the town I grew up look back at the town we grew up in. Smarriage at Smod Castle, where real live people get real live married by real Rev Kev. That'd be me. There's so many to choose from. Smodimations, that's where me and Scott are drawn as cartoons. They take little sections of Smodcast we've done and animate them, man, and make them even funnier somehow. And if you've ever been to Smod Castle, then you've met Matt Cohen, and Matt Cohen has his own show, Bagged and Boarded, which is also now at Smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from. I know you keep telling me, man, but did you know that most of the podcasts at Smodcast.com are recorded live in front of a studio audience at Smodcastle, our theater out in Los Angeles on Santa Monica Boulevard between Wilcox and Cole. There's so many to choose from. Scott, even at Smodcastle, there are so many to choose from. Every week, you could see Malcolm Ingram do his show, Blowhard Live. You could see me and Jason Mewes doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. You could see Matt Cohen doing Bagged and Boarding. You can come see Tom Green do a show down there. You could see me and Mosier doing the occasional Smodcast 3D. There's so many to choose from. That's right. For one low price, 100 bucks, you could see every show. That happens in Smodcastle for a month. Every show you go, you get that basically comes down to be like four bucks a show. I mean, come on, you can't get a better deal than that. Go to smodcastle.com slash smodpass for the smodpass, or just stay right here on smodcast.com and listen to any of the shows that we throw up there free for nothing because we love you. And guess what? There's so many to choose from. That's right, Scott. There are so many to choose from. Smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from.